0: Young Baptist Podcast, a podcast committed to the centrality of the gospel and to encouraging believers to be captivated all over again by the beauty and glory of Christ. My name is Josh Johnson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Clay Maynard. What's up, Clay? How's it going, Josh? It's going well. Here is the question of the hour. You ready? Uh, I don't know. What is the most overplayed Christian song, and
1: why is it Reckless Love? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> are you trying to say it's the one you hear the most that you don't want to hear or are you saying it's just uh, it's just played far more than it deserves it's to me
0: to me Reckless Love has been both played more than it deserves to be played and now it's the song that I don't want to hear
1: so it started as the first it started as one and it became the other as well
0: yeah so what's that song for you Clay my song whenever it comes on It's Reckless Love. I skip it. I'm just, I'm over that song.
1: Josh, I don't really listen to Christian radio at all. Yeah. So I get my, I find new music a completely different way. And so I don't really know what's being played a lot unless I happen to be around other Christians who start telling me what... Uh. Some some church they know of is doing, or what they've been listening to a lot.
0: Okay, so you're like a you're like a Christian music elitist, and you don't have time for us uh, peons that listen to Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> a,
1: a little bit, yeah. But the That's truth fair. is, the truth is, it's mainly because I'm always trying to source music for our church, and I'm very picky about that. Yeah, process. So. Absolutely, Clay. We also uh,
0: we got some some housekeeping to do tonight. Yeah. Uh, first off, we we have a brand new, I guess, really only the last couple of weeks, new exclusive content. Clay,
1: what are we calling it? Yeah, if you have joined the Young Baptist community, you are now being called the Young Baptist Podcast small group. That's right. <laughs> the small group,
0: the Young Baptist Podcast small group. And Be part of the small group. It's legit. If if you donate uh, $5 a month or $60 a year on exclusive subscriber content, you get a... Monthly email from Clay and I talking about uh, the little devotional thought, the books that we're currently reading, Yep, and then some a kind of an idea about where we're headed with the show, as well as every month we're going to be doing an Ask Me Anything podcast specifically for our exclusive subscribers. So
1: yep, yep. if you aren't ex- subscribed, you ought to do that. How do they do it, Clay? They go to the youngbaptistpodcast.com, or they look in the show notes to this episode and they will find a link to subscribe. Josh, we don't want people just showing up here, just listening, just getting what they can get and leaving. we, we want you to get plugged into a small group. That's exactly right. (laughs) That
0: is so beautiful, dude. Wow. That is so good. I'm just, ladies and gentlemen, I've got to take a moment. I'm just, I'm super impressed with the way Clay just handled all that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but also Josh, I'm, excited to announce that today's episode is the first episode with a sponsor that's right this episode is sponsored by audible that's right audible is home to thousands of
0: audiobooks podcasts theatrical performances and more with audible you can listen to some of the hottest titles while you're driving working out or clay even plunging toilets man <laughs> so visit audibletrial.com dot com forward slash young baptist pod to receive a free trial today Right now, this very moment. Or you can click the link, the link down in the episode notes. That's uh, audibletrial.com slash pod. Josh, you just
1: got done with a book you were telling
0: me. I did. I about. just listened to The Pilgrim's Progress, a readable modern day version of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, uh, revised and narrated by Alan uh, Vermeil Ver- Vermil- I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name. But, nice. Uh, you are talking about about a great book. I remember reading it in high school. And so it was nice to pick it, to listen to it while I was doing other things. And wow, what a captivating read. If you haven't, if you haven't read the Pilgrim's Progress or listen to it, this is a great way. Use your audible trial and download that, that version of the Pilgrim's Progress and check it out today. Excellent.
1: Yeah. Hearing you rave about it, Josh, I I believe I read Pilgrim's Progress when I was in middle school and i I know I've seen so many illustrations from that book used in preaching and teaching, but it makes me, hearing you rave about it, it, makes me want to go read it again. So I think I'll just, I think I'll have to go download it on Audible. Do it, man. Excellent read. So we've got multiple ways you can support us now. We've got Audible that supports the podcast, we've got the Young Baptist podcast small group. That's right. Yeah. And we have our merch store. Yep. And we're going to have new items going on the merch store. We've even got a special discount code for Our small group, Mm -hmm. members only, a really awesome discount for some special swag that is going to be coming on the store really soon. Very specific items for the small group. That's right.
0: So keep your eyes and ears open for that. It'll be available to everyone, but only members of our small group get a legit discount. Should we tell them how much? Sure. If you're a member of the small group, you're getting a promo code for 50% off everything in the entire store. So that is probably enticing enough for you to become an exclusive subscriber.
1: (laughs) That's right. So what are
0: you waiting for? (laughs) Click that link in the description below. Anyways. (laughs) What are we talking about today, Josh? Today, Clay, we are talking about Bible translations.
1: Yeah. If you haven't listened to our last episode, we talked about bibliology. And this was one of the elements of bibliology that you need to understand. But it is a common topic among churches and among Christians. Uh, Questions are asked about this subject. So, we thought it'd be a great idea to have a little bit more of an in depth conversation about translation. Uh, We're going to talk about what Bible translation is. We're going to revisit that. We talked about it a little last episode. We're going to talk about how Bible translation works. Um, And then we're going to wrap up talking about some factors to consider in choosing a translation. I want to throw two things out there, Clay, right before we get started first. Like we say on almost every
0: episode, we're not experts. This is not an exhaustive. Episode. This is just a great place to start. And second, uh, we want to acknowledge at the front end that this topic of conversation tends to be super duper heated and uh, everyone has very strong feelings on this. And that's totally fine. Our goal tonight is not to stir you up. We want to share information and try and help you, the listener, as you make these decisions moving forward. So let's do this thing, Clay. Let's answer this question. What is Bible translation? Like we talked about on the last episode, Bible translation uh, takes the original scriptures, which we, when we talked about it last episode, the original scriptures were recorded in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And for in order for them to be understood these manuscripts have to be translated in the language of the reader. And translation is to be based upon the original languages. So what really is Bible translation is taking the original languages and putting it into the language of the individual
1: reading it. Very simply stated, that is what Bible translation is. Yeah, and it's the desire of Christians anywhere to get the Bible into as many languages as possible so that the people in those languages could Can the people who speak that language can have a copy of God's word for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yep. And
0: it's along those lines, it is staggering to consider that, you know, we're here in America, the United States, and we have access to so many resources. And there are people who have never had even a single page of the Bible in their language, you know,
1: let alone even heard the name of Christ. Even historically, Josh, how many people had quickly deteriorating manuscripts And even at times only portions, a -hmm. few pages at a time, maybe one of the letters of Paul, like just not having the kind of access we have. We have devices I can carry around, not only a Bible on my phone, I can carry around uh, thousands of resources to study it and understand it better. uh, It's incredible. I just,
0: I can't help but think we saw a video, I think it was last year in church of an institution that does translation in other countries. I don't know if you remember this. It, I do remember It was in this. Africa. And the amount of joy, like they set aside a whole entire service of yes. that region just to, just to like literally get in front of the congregation and hold up a copy of the Bible and be like, here it is. It's in your language. It gives me goosebumps talking to you about it Josh, right Josh, I
1: was in, I remember this missionary at yeah. our church and he was showing this video and you, like you're describing, there's this whole, co- it's a whole service and these people are dressed in their, I mean, they're the best thing that they're dressed in the best thing they own. And they this whole service was basically a ceremony to yeah. present these people with a copy of their own, their own copy of God's word. These people were in tears. It was not Christmas holds nothing to that a yeah. birthday. It didn't hold a candle. These people, it was like their lives had changed. It, it was so it was so thrilling to watch that. I was in tears watching that video. I remember that. And we
0: understand, just to clarify, it's not because it it's their language. It's because it's the word of God that's and right. now they have it and now they can read it and now they can understand it. And that is so huge. Yeah, they're and not so dependent awesome. on
1: some preacher or teacher to yeah. tell them this is what God's word says. They can read it for themselves. Yeah, that's it's amazing.
0: That's so good.
1: So that's basically Bible translation with a little,
0: little rabbit trail <laughs> for you. <laughs>
1: Um, Clay, how does Bible translation work? We know that most people do not read Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And so then the, the natural question you have to ask yourself when you're holding uh, your Bible is how do we know that what we have is God's word? And maybe is a good opportunity to revisit how translation is connected to both inspiration and preservation. Uh, they're all very conjoined doctrines. And we talked about it last week. With some more depth but i just wanted to revisit this for a moment because we know that god's word is perfect Uh, it was perfect when it was written the holy ghost moved through the writers of scripture to write what god wanted us to read so it was perfect and then copies were made of those and those copies were not always perfect we know that to be true Scribal
0: errors things like that
1: right so then the question is well how can i be sure that what i'm holding is is god's word and the answer to that is because of the vast amount of copies that were made. When there were mistakes, they were, it was so obvious because of how many manuscripts there were. So they're typically very clear. And by the way, they're always clear when it affected a major doctrine. So an important thing for the listener to know is there is no major Christian doctrine that is affected by the textual variance in the manuscripts that we have. So if you're wondering, oh, how can I be sure that I have God's word? The manuscripts on every major Christian doctrine are absolutely unified, absolutely clear. No major Christian doctrine is affected by some textual variant. You don't have to worry that something got corrupted. The, the, the overwhelming evidence is too clear. So it was perfect when it was penned. And the manuscripts that have come down through hundreds of years are, are clear on what the word of God is. So and that has to be the case, Josh. Or preservation did not occur. Right? right? Inspiration was when God inspired, yeah, breathed out word. those yeah. words through these men in their writings, and preservation was God passing on His word from generation to generation through copies and manuscripts. So, uh, and that has to be true, or we or God didn't preserve His word, and we've been missing God's word for hundreds and over a thousand years. Well, since the original, uh, since the original copy address. was written. Right. Yeah. So God preserves his word through manuscripts. Uh, and through ha- throughout history and even today, translations are made from those manuscripts. So the, the question you have that naturally comes from that is, why is there so many translations, Josh? Why are there so many different ones? Well, Clay, I think one reason would be because
0: uh, some translators and translational committees c- approach um the text differently one of those ways would be based upon which text they're basing their translation on right now um there are really like two text families like primarily that's what we're going to classify it as i understand that you can do a little bit of digging and research and find there's a very extensive list of of texts out there i understand that but for our purposes tonight, really, you're gonna you're gonna be dealing with kind of when in your translations, you've got basically two text families that you're dealing with: the TR or like the majority text, and the critical text.
1: Right. So, Josh, you say text families. We're talking about groupings of manuscripts.
0: Right. 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 So they're they all. This is where, it, in particular, with your Greek New Testament. Right. From what I understand, and like I said at the beginning, I'm no expert, but from what I understand, the Old Testament is largely agreed upon um, as far as um, the Hebrew text, from what I understand. Now, um, if you're listening and you're like, that's not completely accurate, send me a message, please. I'd love to know. Uh, send us an email because I'm not doing social media right now. So send us an email. I'd love to to speak with you about that and learn more about the as far as the Old Testament text is concerned. So, but with like the TR majority text, critical text, we're talking largely about Greek here. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Um, your TR is like your Texas Receptus. Some of your translations that you're going to see with the TR basis, the Texas Receptus basis is going to be the King James, the New King James, the modern English version, some other like throwback translations like the Geneva Bible the Matthew Bible, the Coverdale Bible. These are going to be more of like your Texas Receptus-based translations. The critical text, um, you're looking at translations like the NIV, the NASB, the ESV, uh, most like the CSB, things like that. Those, Those are translations based upon the critical text.
1: Now, to be clear, Josh, the critical text Bibles do incorporate the Texas Receptus text as well. They just include these other texts as well. Is that correct? From what I understand, and I could be wrong
0: on that, I do know that the difference between like the TR families and the critical text families would be the TR is going to be all those Bibles are translated exclusively from the TR. The other ones
1: include the other ones are a little much
0: broader, probably more eclectic.
1: yeah. Yeah, and maybe in some cases seem to like they favor the critical text,
0: yes 100 for sure yeah
1: yeah and 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 they're using different like codexes and things right. like that if you're wondering why there's two, two different two different text families it's mm-hmm. because they were practically speaking discovered kind of at different times and that's one of the big arguments that you'll hear about you'll hear that oh these 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 critical texts were found much later and even though some scholars say oh they were dated even earlier like the dates on these manuscripts. Go back even further than the majority texts even though they they seem to have an earlier source some people feel strongly some translators feel strongly because they say well uh we didn't have them for all this time so if god was preserving his word we didn't need them and that's one of their arguments against it mm-hmm. but then the, the the translators on the other side come back and say well yeah, but don't we want all of the available evidence we can find, right? There's nothing wrong with finding additional manuscripts to help us get closer and closer to the original days when the first, when the first original autographs were written. We, don't we want the, most, uh, the, the earliest um, sources available, right? So that's an ongoing battle. And there's all kinds of literature, all kinds of information uh, between those arguments that you can make yourself more aware of if you're interested in those topics.
0: And just a quick caveat here, um, majority text and textus receptus aren't necessarily the same thing, but they agree in like 99% of places, so they kind of get clumped together in some ways. But they are the two that would stand separate, as we've been saying, from the critical text. Yeah, and if
1: you've ever heard the term Byzantine
0: text, that's the majority text. But, Clay... You can't leave it in Greek or else it ain't translated. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so then we have to ask another question, how do they take that the text family that they use and translate it?
1: Yeah, and that and that creates another division because you have some who choose a very literal translation of the words or as close as they can mm-hmm. while it being still legible in in the new language. And this is referred to as that's formal equivalence. Formal equivalence. So that's a big term, but it just means that they tried to make it as literal close to, as close to word for word as they could, yeah. while making that translation, so that it was the it's actually the same. I mean, as close to the same words as they could. Right. And there's some things like you can't directly translate
0: Greek into English every single time. It's not possible. You may have heard the saying um, "lost in translation." Yes. This is something to consider there when you're talking about translations is that some stuff just isn't, isn't going to work coming right directly from Greek and into English. Josh, have you ever studied a foreign language? Yeah. I took Spanish for
1: three years in high school. Oh, wow. So were you conversational in it? No, like, no, you just, you just survive. That's a story for another time. (laughs) So I actually really like languages and I took uh, Spanish for two years in college. I took German for two years in high school. I was I had more free time in high school and I actually was conversational in German by the end of that to the point where when I took a a, a trip to Austria in college, I was ordering food, I was asking for directions, I was getting for my whole college group. Wow, uh, They were cool. super impressed. Yeah. They thought that was the greatest thing ever. But one thing you can appreciate or you should be able to appreciate if you're out there and you have studied a second language is exactly what Josh is just describing, lost in translation. You can't just literally translate everything and it actually makes sense in the new language. It doesn't right. always work that way. Especially when we're talking about turns of phrases and idioms. And there are even words that carry cultural weight. It, it, they build some cultural significance behind them. And so understanding it in translation, you have to, you have to change the word some.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's important to remember with formal equivalents, the goal is word for word, but it's not necessarily going to be exactly word for word. Correct. Because otherwise we really may not be able to understand it.
1: Right. Which brings us to the second ver- the second approach, right. which is a thought-for-thought thought translation or a dynamic equivalence. Right. Uh, so the dynamic equivalence, if you ever hear that, it just means they translated it more thought-for-thought. Thought. Now, let's be clear. Some translations, and we'll talk about these translations in just a moment, some translations use a very, as close to literal as they can, and only use a thought for thought or dynamic equivalence when they feel it's absolutely necessary to get the the meaning of the original text through. And that's the point, isn't it, Josh? You want the meaning to get through. If you lose the meaning, then what was the point of the translation? Mm -hmm. Translation, uh, to quote Mark Ward, translation, uh, I'm sorry, edification requires intelligibility. Intelligibility. He always says that it's true. If you don't understand it at the, on the other side of the translation, then the translation was essentially didn't 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 do what it was supposed to do. But dynamic equivalence is the, some translations really lean into that. They really go for the thought for thought, just make it more readable. Um, and so that's a lot of translations go for that today.
0: Um, kind of a way to to see this is if you could if you could essentially draw a line, clay, and on one end you had you wrote word for word, and on the very other end, you wrote thought for thought. And then you were to, on that line, kind of plot out where the different translations end. Starting from word for word, your translations that are most literal down to translations that are more thought for thought. You're talking like the NASB, the ESV, the King James, the New King James, the CSB, the NIV, the New Living Translation, the and then at the far far end of that is like the message etc those kind of like as you look at it that's kind of like your continuum that's kind of how you're going down the line that continuum there
1: what would you say is like the midpoint like is there any version that on your on your spectrum there that shows like it's like some of both or a, a some balance of both i'm looking at a little picture here
0: i showed you it before we started recording like it puts the csb basically exactly in the middle that even kind of favors the niv towards the middle um the new king james is kind of closer to the middle so like those guys are kind of hanging out right there in the yeah. middle
1: now okay so let's go back to something else so we've talked about translators picking different text families mm-hmm. we've talked about translators picking different approaches mm-hmm. in the approaches dynamic equivalence versus formal equivalence or as we said thought for thought versus word for word nobody does those approaches exclusively except for i think there are a few translations out there or at least let's say they claim to be translations <laughs> they're really not translations of the they're original phrases yeah they're just paraphrases they sh- i don't think they should be called translations they're i think more they, commentaries on the yeah, scripture they, they yeah they should be called like an ad-lib commentary or or a um an adaptation like when you when you make a book into a movie and you're admitting that you don't you're not making the movie just like the book, right. you call it an adaptation of the book. I think they should call these adaptations because they're not translations of the original text. Well, and even a guy like
0: Eugene Peterson, who who's the one who wrote the message Bible, he even said that about the message bible. Yeah,
1: that it's not That was the point. Yeah, it was not an attempt at translating the original text.
0: So I doubt he expected
1: it to right. become what it is. Yeah, and so The reason why I'm bringing this up, though, is because while you have a few translations out there who literally are all in the tank for thought for thought, just make it as readable as possible and as modern sounding as possible, there's really no translation that's strictly word for word. Every translation on the other end of the spectrum has to use some dynamic equivalence. Uh, We were just talking about one before we started recording uh, over in Matthew chapter 27 uh, in verse 44. The King James translators, and by the way, the King James is one of the ones you mentioned. It's, it's one of the most literal word-for-word yeah. translations. Um, and Matthew 27 is actually a good example of where the King James does that. So Matthew 27, is a passage about the crucifixion. And at this moment in the crucifixion, it is referring to the Jews mocking Jesus. And they say about Jesus, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Verse 44 says, the thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now that is, that there, that phrase, cast the same in his teeth, not a single word of that is in the Greek text. Am I correct about that?
0: Not, um, not, cast, cast not cast or teeth. That, that phrase, casting in his teeth, is not there. The word that they used is that was translated that is uh i already forgot how reproach. to approach but yeah it's reproach it's uh oinodizo i think is how you say it i think it's it one greek word oino that's or... been translated into two english words there cast teeth
1: yeah but with the word the the cast the same in his teeth that doesn't really sound like anything we'd say today but in 1611 the translators that's a reference to like maybe today we would say they threw it in his face yeah like, or they shoved it down his throat. They, they, they were really reproaching him. They were really reviling mm-hmm. him, right? And so the, the King James translators, if they had just translated literally what the Greek said, it would not have been clear what the thieves were doing in siding with the crowd. So they used dynamic equivalence and used a phrase that makes a little bit more sense to an English reader than what the Greek would have translated literally as. So even the most literal translations, Josh, have to use dynamic, dynamic equivalents in some places so that the meaning gets through, because that's the point of the translation in the first place. Back to the original question, why are there so many translations? Josh, because translators have different opinions on this stuff.
0: And there's different text families that they're translating. They're,
1: they're translating from different texts in some cases. They're, uh, they're taking different approaches. And so if you see a difference between a text, uh, my, you know, what you have to ask yourself is, why are those differences there? It's not enough just to look at the difference and decide which one you prefer, right? If you, if, you, if you like to study this kind of thing and you notice a difference, ask yourself, why is the difference there? And there's resources out there so that you can figure yeah, it out. Yeah, you can go see
0: all of this in the Greek. Absolutely. If
1: you want to. And so translations, Josh, translations that are faithful So those, those original manuscripts are God's word. Translations that are not faithful to the text
0: are not God's word. And we are intentionally just stating like the TR majority group and the critical text group just kind of broadly, because at least for me, Clay, I can't speak enough to the differences between the two to give an intelligible explanation. Like there are people out there who are Greek experts who do their morning Bible reading in Greek that you need to, you need to find those people and ask those people, okay, but why this text or that text or the other text? That's not our purpose tonight. We're not here to answer that question
1: for you. And Josh, the one thing I want to, I want to throw in here because this is such a hotly debated and contested issue. I think sometimes we get our eye off the ball with this and this is what I mean. We get so. When a missionary goes to a foreign field and goes back and translates for a grand, brand new people group, the word of God, do we sit there and tear his work apart? Or do we say, what a wonderful thing he's doing, however imperfectly? It's so wonderful. And do we question that what he's given them is God's word? Do we demand perfection of him for him to have delivered unto those people God's word? No, we don't. It, I mean, when I was you know, conversational in German, let's say i had continued down that path and became fluent in German and could read and write it beautifully. If somebody gave me a copy of a speech and said, hey, you're going to this German church, translate this, I want them to hear this letter. And I translated that letter for a German church and read that letter to the German church. Would they have received the message? Yes, they would have. They would have received what was intended for them. Now, could somebody else have come along who knew both English and German and and read it after me and say, I don't really think what you did here was the best way to do it? I think there's a better way to do it here. Yeah, they could. But that does not mean I failed in what my mission was. I was seeking to give them the truth of what was contained in that letter in their language. And so I think we get our eye off the ball sometimes um, because instead of showing gratitude for what for the riches that we have, we can sometimes take for granted the riches and instead of focusing on getting God's word to more and more people. um, And like I said, I, I don't think I'm not saying these, these discussions don't matter. I'm not saying the translation conversation has no merit. I'm just saying, I just think we should keep our eye on the ball, which is getting God's word and the gospel to the nations. Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: It does. Yeah, for sure.
1: So lastly, what are we talking
0: about? Factors to consider when choosing a translation. Clay, what are some things that, let's say we have someone that's sitting out there listening and it's like, okay, that's all great. This is good information. What are some maybe final questions, final things for them to think about as they wrap this episode up and, you know, Clay and Josh are no longer in their ears and they have to sit down and say, okay, this is the Bible I'm going to use.
1: The first thing I would encourage is that words matter. I think logically it flows that if you, if you don't focus on the words of the original text themselves, if you get into, oh, as long as it's similar, as long as it's close, I think there's a danger there in it being more subjective. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you do thought-for-thought translations, and I'm not saying they're, like I said, every translation does some of that. But, and I'm going back to, this is a personal feeling, but this is, uh, I believe it's based in scripture. When you read through the scripture, it talks about the, not just the word of God, but the words of God. I believe God wanted us to have the closest thing. I, I, I believe to know what, what the original writers of scripture through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit said to their original audiences. I believe having the closest thing to that is what people need. I believe when we translate something into an unknown tongue that's never had a Bible before, we should want it to be as close to the original message as possible. And so I, I put a high priority on the words, every word of God, not just, and so I say that to say words matter. That's one encouragement I would make. Um, don't get so, because there's some, when you do thought for thought, there's some interpretation involved. Wouldn't you agree with that? Oh yeah. And instead, just translate the words, let the reader and the pastor and the teacher and the expositor do the interpretation. When you, when you you When you interpret as part of translation too much, you run the risk of your, in, your any bias you have or interpretation. you say. Right. Your interpretation now becomes part of the text. And th- that's less reliable to me than the words themselves. Yep. Which we can kind of pivot here,
0: Clay, to, and these are in no particular order, just in case you're wondering. Yeah, these just kind of free-flowing thoughts here. Uh, <laughs> along those lines, though, because the words matter, there are, are so many great resources you can get access to today to study the words. To go to the original languages, we have talked about it on here before, but I think the one I would recommend the most because it's it's free dollars. Uh, that was free <laughs> if you didn't catch that is Blue Letter Bible. It's there's a uh, an app for your phone. You can get on the your web browser and find it. It's one of the best resources you can find to dive into the Greek and learn they parse verbs for you they show you all the parts of speech. They give oh, yeah. you every different definition. They'll they show you places that's used yeah, throughout that's my, scripture. that's one of my favorite
1: ones. I, we were just using, Josh and I just looked up that example in Matthew 27 we just used. We just used that. Uh, we just looked that up just now on on our devices, on the Blue Letter Bible app. So it's so accessible. And like you said, you can look at any, any individual word and it'll say this word showed up in the Greek text 27 other times, and here's where they are. You can go look at how it was translated in these other places as well. It's really a great resource. So take advantage of those things. Um, like, yeah, your you're
0: pastor and the teachers in your life, they're studying this stuff too, but you can as well. Don't Don't just limit it to them. Be a student of the word, dig into it. If you have questions about studying Greek or particularly Greek, but like Hebrew or anything, just ask your pastor, like he'd be glad to help you with something like that, yeah,
1: um, what else, Clay? what are some other things to consider? I think consider the one your church and your pastor uses, yeah that's a I mean you're to be discipled, I believe by your local church, so if your pastor and your church has selected one, I believe for the unity of a church, it's very helpful for a church to agree and to decide together uh, which text to use and uh, which translation to use, and uh when you make that kind of commitment uh, I think it helps you it helps keep that unity in that local body of Christ um, and it helps you follow along and learn in the in the manner that it's being taught at your church and I think something that I always like
0: to go back to as far as translations are concerned is you need to use the translation that you'll actually read uh it does you no good to have an English translation that you're not going to read if you if you don't read your Bible, it doesn't matter if it's word for word or thought for thought, if it's the message Bible or the Matthews Bible from fifteen, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter because if you're not reading it, it's never gonna change your life. So when you pick Come up on. a translation, what you need one thing you should ask yourself is am I gonna read this? Yeah. And the
1: answer ought to be yes. <laughs> yeah, you, we'd be surprised at how many people are are very fluent in the arguments around text families and uh, types of translational equivalents and are not faithful readers of God's word. And you're exactly right. And you don't get some spiritual gold star because you read your Bible every day. Don't misunderstand. But you need to be in the book. Yep. Yeah, any translation that you read is better than your favorite translation that you don't. Yeah, for real. Maybe with exception to
0: the word on the street Bible.
1: (laughs) Uh, And and the last thing I would say, as far as advice goes, is if you're going to study differences between translations, which can be fun, I find Josh and I are nerds. We do this kind of stuff. We like to look at this stuff and, and evaluate when you're studying differences. If you ever get into a conversation about it, ignore arguments that don't address the original texts because that's what it goes back to. Yep. All of these translators, every single one of them that were do, that were good translators, their goal was to get you in an accessible way in your language what was in those texts. Mm-hmm. That's what they're trying to do. If they did their job well, they did a good job at that. If they didn't do a good job with that, they're not a very good translator. Yeah. And so that's what their goal was. Don't entertain arguments that pit translations against each other, that don't factor in what did the original text say. Uh, that is... That, that That is still always going to be the standard. Josh, we've talked about what translation is. We've talked about how translation happens. Uh, and we've talked about factors to consider when choosing a translation. And we're wrapping this up. I, you know, Josh, this whole topic makes me feel a little weak in the knees. It's such a deep well. It's such a rabbit's hole, if you will. Not to use, borrow too much from, what's that, Cinderella? Um, Alice in Wonderland. Al- Alice in Wonderland. Wow, That's I'm, I'm really, I'm so embarrassed that I knew that. <laughs> I'm really up on my literary references here, but uh, it, it's such a rabbit hole that you can spend years and years studying this and still not uh, and still not get where you. I mean, they're like Joshua was saying. There's guys out there who are such scholars they'll just decide one morning to read the Latin Vulgate and just say, Oh, I just love the beauty of Latin. Yeah. Like th- th- it is amazing how deep you can go in this. Um, and so if you're interested in that stuff, there's resources out there for you. But, but it always makes me a little nervous even talking about this mm-hmm. because I know, while I know where I'm at today and I know what I believe and I know the information that I've already consumed and have resources to, what I want to point people to is, is a healthy approach to, as you said, a devotional life that prioritizes God's word in their life. That's what we really want to do. We address this because it's a, it's a common question. Why are there so many translations? You get questions like that. Why are these two translations different? And those are real questions. And if you want to shoot some of those questions to us, we'd be happy to do the best we can. But like we've said before, we're not experts. Yeah. We don't have anywhere close to as ex- an exhaustive knowledge of this, even close to some of the other experts that there are out there. Um, but we, what we want to do is g- give you a little bit better working knowledge of how translations came to be what they are today yeah and hopefully we've done an inadequate job of
0: explaining how kind of how the process works without being too um cumbersome or you know unintelligible like hopefully this is something you can put your hands on and understand and Like we said, we're not experts. I, I don't know how many times we're yeah. gonna reiterate well, and if, that. And
1: if this was a little too wonky for you, feel free to tell us that too. Feel free yeah, to be like, if, "Hey, that was a little heavy. I'm not really sure what to do with that information, or whatever." Feel free to tell us. And that like too. I said earlier, if if there's things that we said that
0: maybe you know we need to touch up or are maybe slight inaccuracies, please contact us, the Young Baptist Podcast at gmail.com. Please send us an email. We'd love like to hear
1: from you. And, and we will try to answer those questions. But if you're a subscriber to our small group, we will answer those questions. <laughs> exactly right.
0: <laughs> you know, we will at that point. Clay, what's up next, man? What are we going to talk about next episode?
1: Next episode is theology. Yep. Theology, theology proper proper. is coming right at you. Excited right. about this, Josh.
0: It's going to be good. We are excited to continue the series. And I, I, I guess just to reiterate one more time, we've said this tonight. We said this the last episode, I think we said it in the first episode of this year. We're going through all of this, but the end goal is to push you closer to Jesus because you can fill your heads with with facts. But if you don't know Christ, if you're not on closer to Christ, all the facts in the world, they really don't make that much of a difference. So just bear that in mind moving forward. This is great, hopefully informational. But what's more important is to take it and push
1: you closer to Christ at the end of the day. Josh, there it is. There it is. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's topic. Also be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and review wherever you consume the content. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Young Pod. Check out our website, theyoungbaptistpodcast.com for more resource recommendations, our merch store, and to join our YBP community.